Reading in Church, a proud partner with Audible.com. Previously on Reading in Church and other distractions. So let me just make sure I understand your argument. These have been these are second generation Christians who don't know any of the stories of Jesus. Got it. <laughs> who is this Jesus of which you speak? <laughs> oh, that's it's helpful too. <laughs> Did I tell you I had a student, Thank you. student who said that in one of my classes? <laughs> no. I used to do it a time or two as a joke. But... I had a student from Mongolia. And oh. this is a, one of my first years teaching at Judson. I was in Chapel 6. It was a big class from back then. I was surprised because they gave me such big classes. But uh, it was a, he was a, 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 a not an exchange student, but an international student yeah. from a remote part in Mongolia. And he would sit in the back. And he, 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 one of the students came up afterwards. He said, you know, uh, the student in the back, he leaned over to me and said, who is this Jesus of which you're speaking? <laughs> Wow. I don't think the student was. And he was serious. Me. He think he was. Yeah. He was. He was the student telling me this was serious. And I, whether he understood him correctly or not, but that's like okay. Hmm. Okay, I'm gonna have to regear. This. I'm, I'm gonna step I'm, this down even further. I'm gonna have to take a few more steps back. <laughs> you don't need to yeah. know the answer to that question to succeed in this class. Welcome to reading in church and other distractions with Rob and Mike. Well, welcome back to reading in church and other distractions. I am Robert Wallace, and I am Michael McKeever. You are a hard-working Michael McKeever. Talking right? over the top of each other already. That's the way it's going to go. So this, this, these are the readings for the second Sunday after Pentecost, which is also known as Proper 7, which I wanted to know where that number came from, and I think I finally figured it out. That's the number of Sundays since Easter. It, I yeah. just just figured that out. So I saw that somewhere. Three years worth of podcasts, and I finally figured but out what, what the proper number is. What does it say? Why is it proper, though? I don't have any okay. idea. Why is this ordinary time? Mm. Anyway, because Easter's extraordinary? I don't know. Anyway, we've got, not, once again, showing our depth of lectural, yeah. lectionary <laughs> expertise here. Let's see. We what do we don't know anything about? Let's <laughs> yeah. do a podcast on that. <laughs> I'm just thinking that you're not listening to us for your, our lectionary expertise. But anyway. Nope. Um, I said I was taking the Larry King approach on the first podcast. Yes, and that's, you did. I've been, we've been true to that. You have absolutely no beginning. preparation. No, no preparation. real questions. So we're going to do the, uh, we're still doing the consecutive reading. So 1 Kings 19, 1 to 15a, uh, and then two Psalms, Psalm 42 and 43, if those are actually two Psalms. Oh, intriguing. Uh, yeah, that's what they call a tease in the business. Uh, Galatians 3, 23 to 29. And we get to revisit our favorite demoniac, Gary the Garrison, in Luke 8, 26 <laughs> Gary, to 39. Gary's back. He's rested. Am, He's ready. I am so proud He's that, 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 name, <laughs> that that name has stuck. I don't know how we did it. We got to get some plush Gary toy merch on We do. On we, have, we always talk about it, but we never do. We never do they would be for bathtub so. with pigs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Gary play toys, bath toys. Gary the Garrison Demoniac. Uh, hope that you will like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Reading in Church in both of those places. Uh, email us at readinginchurch at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, you've had a pretty exciting week. I'm I'm getting oh, ready to... Man. I'm in the home stretch here. So um, we'll see. We, uh, we put another application. I guess by the time this podcast drops, we will know whether or not we got the other townhouse, that the second townhouse that we have tried to rent. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. odds, odds are a little better this time. Uh, we're one of two as opposed to one of seven. So uh, we will hope that uh, there's good news. And when I listen to this, I listen to it fondly. Usually, you know, the... 
you're living in a nice place and the places where that are nice, they have crazy rental markets. It's just, oh, it's we, we rented, we lived in Santa Barbara and it was always a hundred percent occupancy. It was, yeah, it was everywhere. nuts. So yeah. I had, I had to convince a lady. I said, I, I'm a Bible teacher. I've got two adorable kids and I had to work up right. a crocodile tear. <laughs> to get the place. <laughs> I mean. Well, you know, I'm never sure how hard to hit the pastor thing because I don't know if they've had a yeah. bad religious experience growing up. That's so true. I want to, I want to let them. But you know, my check stubs show that I work for a church, so it's probably a good chance they'll figure it out. But, yeah. Uh, but we'll see. We'll hope uh, we have a place to live. So yeah, the plan is I'm bringing my son back with me um, at the end of this week, and he's going to spend Father's Day weekend with me, which is exciting. And then he's got orientation at college. Uh, oh. And then after that, he and I are flying back to Illinois and we're all driving out here, hopefully to a place to stay. We'll see. There, you know, That'd be good. Dream. That'd you be know, good. We'll work on it. We got some time. Okay. We got some time. So, and you are doing crazy carpentry stuff to get your house ready. I so. am. I may have done the, the craziest, the last crazy thing carpentry wise. So not being a carpenter, you, despite wearing overalls currently. You're good. Your goodbye video on Facebook had me laughing so hard. <laughs> I might have to I, I post that. Laughed out loud at least twice. I think Cindy you... said she was laughing till you started playing the guitar, and then she went, "Holy crap!" <laughs> so she never heard you play before. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm thinking you laughed out loud because you know the angst behind. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure what part you laughed at, but I don't know if it was selling oranges on the freeway. It was. Okay. It was. <laughs> that was one you spot. You know I what goes into that dark humor? Yes, yes I do. Yeah. Yeah, there. That's true. There are levels. I was laughing at. There, yeah, so. there's some dark stuff. That wasn't. That wasn't all fictional. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Which we laugh because the alternative is to cry. So all right. Um, well, we'll let's do. Speaking of, we'll decide of people, whether that's appropriate for our podcast audience or not. Uh, speaking of people going through a rough time, uh, maybe we should transition Elijah, to First wow. Kings nineteen. Yeah, okay. this is this is great. I love this. I do honestly love this story this is a mm -hmm. great story this is one so. story you're talking about in the singular this is one story 19 1 to 15 is one story yes <laughs> so much the elijah's big day it is Elijah's. actually it's after elijah's big day and it's even bigger it's anyway, so big he has to take several naps he does, he does. <laughs> much day he does okay let's see if i can get through this Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She sounds nice. Uh, real quick, I want to add that the Septuagint has an addition in this verse. And I love the addition. This is one of those times where it's probably not original, but if we could put it in, I so would put it in because it reads, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow, you may be Elijah, but I am Jezebel. Ooh, wow. <laughs> That's the way wow. she finished. Like, and then she dropped the microphone, I think. Uh, so Well, it sounds, strong... she sounds like someone who would say that. It sounds like... Yeah. <laughs> She you may be Elijah, sounds, but yeah. I am Jezebel. Sounds formidable. Well, and also inside those names is, I mean, my God is Yahweh is what Elijah means, and Baal is Prince is Jezebel's name. And ah. so inside their names okay. is is a microcosm of the contest between the two of them. So she, hmm. it's a clever move. It really is. Okay. All right. Excuse me. Then he was afraid, <laughs> rightly, rightly so. Right. 
he got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. That's how I deal with those days like this, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. Got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> I, I love that question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? <laughs> it's like this great oh. question from God. Oh. It's like, yeah. <laughs> the, the word That's of the like, Lord. Yes. <laughs> hey, where did you get it? What? what? It's it's like someone left the door open again. The prophets wander in. That's interesting, you know. Like he he's heard he heard from God somehow, and it asked him, "What are you doing here?" What? (laughs) Don't sneak up on me like that. (laughs) Put a bell on you, Elijah. He answered, "I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away." He said, "Go out." And stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. I hate when I see that on the Weather Channel. That's Yeah, it's coming. That's a good Midwestern spring right there. Never good. Shows rocks and mountains splitting. But the Mm. Lord will wait. You don't have those earthquakes like out west. (laughs) That's true. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of sheer lions, sheer silence. When Elijah, <laughs> we had a hard time with that. Yeah, one. it's hard. When Elijah <laughs> heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" <laughs> <laughs> he answered, "I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant." thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, I alone am left. And you said, wait, that's the Septuagint. That's that's the Septuagint. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Oh, well, that that makes sense. That solves the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I was wondering what was going on. 15A there, so... <clears throat> wow. So, uh, gosh, what a great story. This this story comes right after what is probably the greatest prophetic achievement ever. The big contest on top of Mount mm-hmm. Carmel where a- uh, Elijah gives Ahab his choice of prophets. 450 prophets of Baal come. Ahab give, or Elijah gives them the choice of the bull. He gives them the location. He gives them the the manifestation of the storm God, in other words, lightning. I mean, a storm mm-hmm. God should be able to make lightning. Ask right. the first God to make lightning is God. And uh, and Elijah wins. I mean, he is he handicapped Yahweh, and Yahweh not only beat Baal, he covered the spread. Mm. And um, Elijah kills the prophets of Baal. 
and tells Ahab, this is the way it is. Well, actually, he has the people kill the prophets of Baal. And, and the people start chanting, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And uh, tells Ahab, you know, ha-ha, I won. And Ahab basically looks and said, that's it, I'm telling Jezebel. Yeah, and as soon yeah. as he says, that's it, I'm telling Jezebel, oh. Elijah takes off running. Um, <clears throat> she is definitely the power behind the throne, one of the strongest women that you have in the stories, mm-hmm. in the king's yeah. uh, stories. Um, the... Um, God, there's so much to talk about. He was afraid. I, I always wonder, you know, he was afraid that he was going to get killed, so he asked God to kill him in <laughs> verse 4. Um, and I think that part of the the key there is he's not, I don't think he's afraid of dying, but I think he is afraid of losing at the hands of Jezebel. Uh, hmm. Elijah is so interesting because he has no origin story. He 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 just kind of blows in mysteriously a few chapters ago hmm. and, and, you know, lives with the, the, the foreign widow and, and opposes uh, Ahab. And then I think, I think Elijah was thinking, so if this is the way it's going to go, better to kill me in the wilderness. Nobody knows where I went. I just, I came into town, you know, handsome stranger blows in, go out has on top. a great victory, go out on top. Nobody knows where he came from because if Jezebel kills him, then obviously Baal is stronger than Yahweh. So mm-hmm. better, better to die in the wilderness. I think that's what he's asking for. I think he's asking mm. to die in the wilderness <clears throat> because he says, and this is, I love this translation, the way is too much. That's what the, it is enough mm. now. The way is too much, literally. Mm. And so the angel um, says in verse seven, you need to eat something because the way will be, otherwise the way will be too much for you. So it's the same language. And then at the end, God says, go and return your way on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Hmm. So, I mean, it's just one of those moments when Elijah's like, I can't, I can't do anymore. And the angel says, well, eat something. Yeah, sure. Of course mm-hmm. not. You need to eat something. Have a nap. Have, have something a nap. to eat. Um, I still, uh, I love one of my friends, Julie said, you always tell who the angels are in your life. They're the ones who are saying, don't be afraid. And why don't you eat something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, those are the right. angels in your life. Yeah. So there is a little bit of ambiguity because um, in verse five, the word, there is no Hebrew word for angel. It's literally the word messenger. Mm-hmm. And, and at this point, you don't know if it's a messenger of Jezebel or not in verse five. Um, and then in the next bit, well, then, then you have this um, cake that's baked on hot stones. Um, the hot stones, it's the same word that is used for uh, the coal that is, that is brought to Elijah or to Isaiah's mouth. Hmm. That's the only time that word is used, which oh. is interesting. And the jar is the same jar that the widow of Zarephath uh, uses for the Elijah story. So these are really unusual words hmm. that the angel has put together here. But uh, hmm. anyway, cooking a cake baked over a hot coal and then um, providing him this and he eats and drinks and journeys down there. Um, and then you have the great theophanies, you know, this uh, what you would normally think would be a great theophany, lightning or fire and earthquakes and great winds. And it turns out they're not theophanies at all because no. God is not in yeah, any of those that's things. That's interesting. <clears throat> um, and it turns out God appears in the sound of sheer silence or the, it, it's uh, a phrase that's used in uh, 107. Well, the word for silence is used in Psalm 107 as the sound right after a storm. That quiet hmm. right after a storm hmm. is is when that word is used. And it's used, I think, that way in Job as well. So that there is a, I think that's the sense of it, is that you've had this huge storm blow through, and it's that moment of calm right after that. Hmm. That's what he experienced. That's when he experiences the presence of God. Interesting. And <clears throat> I've always thought it was interesting that, you know, you have this 
God can be flashy. God can answer just like the other gods do. Like in Psalm in uh, first Kings 18, he can bring lightning and storm and the mm-hmm. drought has just ended. And all of that is sure. God can be flashy and use the you know multimedia presentation, but he also speaks in the sound of silence here. The, and it's an oxymoronic, even in Hebrew, that's, it is the voice, the sound of silence of, of a whisper, gentle whisper, a whispering, hmm. um, it is it is quiet that he is hearing the voice of whatever that voice sounds like. And uh, then he hears another voice that uh, keeps asking him what he's doing here. And he tells his story twice. And then God says, hey, get back in the game. And after this, he never doubts again. He never has a moment of, I mean, he goes and um, anoints who will eventually be the, or he anoints the person who anoints the people who bring down the the house of Ahab and, and Jezebel. Uh. Uh, but... Uh, he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't ever have another moment of doubt after this. Hmm. Uh, after this event, and so, um, just a great. I just think it's a great story. And I've, I've heard some people teach it as sort of the depression that comes after a great victory. I'm not mm-hmm. sure that that's it. Yeah. Though I understand how after you can do every that. emotional high. <clears throat> yeah, there's a low. There's the valley afterwards. Well, there's maybe, <laughs> but I think that uh, Jezebel's the problem uh, here, and uh, he doesn't want to give her the victory, and so he's ready hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, die in the wilderness. And I don't understand his complaint. I know he's upset, but he's just left his servant, Obadiah, who is a prophet of the Lord. And he has just left a crowd of people chanting, Yahweh is God, Yahweh is God. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm it. I'm the only person. I'm it. I'm the only one who knows. <laughs> just like, yeah, that's true. Right. That's a little hyperbolic there, dude. You're, yeah. you, you just You just left a friend who was a prophet and the whole crowd was on your side. But uh, a little perspective. I, he, uh, but now that said, there have been inscriptions found from this time period that from when this dates, and there is such a syncretistic religion in this Israel. It probably seemed like anybody mm-hmm. who was holding on to Yahweh alone would be the only person out there. I mean, the inscription that was found, um, "Blessed be Yahweh and His Asherah," where Yahweh and Baal oh, are the same okay. God, basically. <clears throat> dates to this uh, ninth century period that we're talking about where that's widespread Baal worship and, hmm. um, and, uh, Elijah's really struggle here. Interesting. So, yeah. I, it's a, it's a wild story. There's so it much is, going on. It's a on. great story. It's a great story. As I read it this time, it, it, it you know, just because of the recurrence of wilderness and 40 days and, Mm-hmm. A great victory and then being driven out of a place. It reminded me of, you know, the Exodus a little bit. Of course. Um, but I don't know. And Horeb. Well, the, Horeb, well, Horeb of course. Yeah. And then the entrance, um, when he goes to the, stood at the entrance of a cave, when he says, go to, where is it? Go to a cave. It literally in Hebrew says the cave. The cave. Yeah. Yeah. There it is in verse nine. At the place he came to the cave and spent the night there. It's the, got the definite article. Mm-hmm. And so it's, some are suggesting that we're supposed to read this as, you know, the cleft of the stone where. God saw or Moses saw God pass by or, or something. I mean, the, the, the Moses echoes are obviously here with the 40 days and mm-hmm. the even wishing for death and, yeah. and Horeb and, and even the theophany forms, yeah. even though you don't have a theophany right. in them, <clears throat> all of it immediately calls to mind Exodus, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. And, and Moses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The word he uses for, I've been very zealous is the same word that God um, asks Israel to be for him. So I've been very zealous for the Lord. God asked Israel to be, you know, he is zealous uh, for his people. Okay. He asked them to be. Right, right. It's, it's often a jealous God. It's the same word huh. um, there. I was looking it up in, uh, just as you're talking, in uh, Robert Alter's uh, um, 
Oh yeah. Treatment. He calls the, uh, the silence a minute silence. Yeah. So, yeah. I, no, a sound of minute stillness. Yeah. The sound of minute stillness. That's very yeah. interesting. I like it. It captures the oxymoronic nature of that phrase. It, uh-huh. it is, you know, I heard the sound of nothing. Oh, yeah. Okay. What, yeah. Is that, what does that sound and like? And it exactly? was a diminutive nothing. <clears throat> yes. A small nothing. Yeah. A bit, a tiny nothing. A small nothing. Yeah. That sounds British. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't bother. It was a small nothing. It was just a small nothing. <laughs> so. Wow. So that. Yeah. I love the play with the way. I love the way is too much. Eat something or the way will be too much. Get back on your way. Hmm. Uh, I, I think that that, hmm. that play in this, in this story is, yeah. is so good. Yeah. So good. Huh. Wow. Two, two, two meals and then he's good for 40 days. Absolutely. That's all you need. He <laughs> whiz. That's all you need. See, he's just got to do everything so extreme. Elijah, I just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> dial it down a bit. Show off. I'm sure his successor will be more even keeled. Right. Doesn't he anoint Elisha not long yeah, after this? Right after this. Yeah. Right after this. Yep. Wow. And then it's Elisha who anoints Hazael and Jehu. Uh, and it's Jehu who kills, right. uh, well, has Jezebel thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another weird story. Another yeah, weird story. that's yeah. so much so much practical stuff. Probably not in the lectionary. I'm just guessing. Yeah, probably not. No, about the she was eaten by do- dogs. Dogs, except, <clears throat> except her yes. hands or something. Except her hands and feet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ooh, even dogs don't. Ooh. Couldn't find. Couldn't find everything. No. Yikes! <laughs> there was somebody. It was like that that song that I had, the Easter song, where they just conflate all these things together and. Mm-hmm. You know, Easter time is here again. It's the day we celebrate the morning that the Easter bunny rises from the grave. But this is the um, somebody who said, and and Jehu said unto the servants, throw her down, and they threw her down. And he said, throw her down again, and they threw her down again. <laughs> and they picked up what was left, which was twelve basketfuls, and <laughs> it just they just like conflated all of these biblical notions in the telling of that story. It's hysterical. <laughs> what was left was twelve. Well, that's basketfuls. kind of how this story reads a little bit. The, the Elijah story a little bit. So yeah, many kind of traditions. Bits going on there. All right. Well, we're going to be solve this mystery of Psalm forty-two and forty-three. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, it's not got, much of a mystery. Got a lot of I'll text right here. All right. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My That's a very popular verse. Yeah. But we could just stop there. Yeah, we don't have to read there. it. Why do I need we'll to just keep talk going. about that? Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, go ahead. Deerologists will note that <laughs> oh. my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have bid my food day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount... How would I say that? Mizar? I would go with Miser. Miser. Deep calls to deep at the thunders of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. 
By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. This guy's all over the place. (laughs) A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully? Because the enemy, because the enemy oppresses me. As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me, excuse me, continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, all my soul? And why are, you dis- why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Keep going? Yeah, keep going. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. For those who are deceitful and unjust, deliver me from those. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off? Why must I walk about mournfully because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the harp. Oh, God, my God, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. All right, I can see how you could read those two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's a, a lot of overlap. Yeah. Um, you know, verse two and, and verse, uh, uh, verse 43, five and 42, 11. And I mean, there's all sorts of connections. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, this is the beginning of book two of the Psalter. Uh, Psalm 42 starts, uh, book two, and it also starts, it, it gives us our very first non Davidic superscription. Um, Psalm 42 is a sons of Korah Psalm and, uh, or a Korahite Psalm. Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes here called. Um, and what's interesting is 43 does not have a superscription. Mm. So, uh, even though they are treated as separate Psalms in the Masoretic text and in the Septuagint, uh, they are also connected in, um, some traditions and I can't remember which ones now off the top of my head Mm. because it's late. I remembered earlier and now I can't remember, Mm. but, uh, they are connected. Obviously in the lectionary, they're connected. You see the connections in vocabulary, you see the connections in even phrasing, um, between the two of them. And when you don't have a superscription, uh, like 43 does not, it's very easy to go right into the next one. And so Psalm one and two often read together, 42, 43 read together, um, because 42 has a superscription and 43 doesn't, and then 44 does. And so that makes people think that, the, uh, the core height Psalms, oh boy, I sh- should have remembered this. 42 to 49. Um, and then 84 to 88 are uh, the two sons of Korah collections that we have. Um, this also, you might have noticed, starts the Elohistic Psalter. Um, you don't see Yahweh in these two psalms. Mm, okay. um, it is all Elohim, God, 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 all the way through. Um, the, the Elohistic Psalter, we've mentioned it a couple times recently, runs from Psalm 42 to 84 and uh, prefers Elohim over the name Yahweh in the Psalms. Uh, you do find the word Yahweh occasionally, but but not uh, not as often. It's even in verse eight in here. But um, as I see that there, but it's not obviously Elohim is much preferred. God occurs a whole lot more uh, in this Psalm. As we well, with the, the sons of Korah, it's all about the popular audience. It's all about the big audience. You know, <laughs> the crossover hits. Sure, sure. The yeah, generic one. God. Okay. Ge- <laughs> right. The. Uh, Korahite Psalms have some connection to Davidic uh, association. So even in Jewish tradition, even the Korahite Psalms are seen as Davidic. Um, oh, okay. 
Yeah, they even <laughs> they read them even though they're sure. core height. They're not that's no, very convenient. It's all Davidic. Um, <clears throat> everything's Davidic. The um, I was trying to think of what else they they the Psalm forty three in the Septuagint does have a superscription, and that's what normally happens. Is all of the untitled Psalms in the Masoretic text get titles in the Septuagint and they're all David. It's just, it's just oh. the way they do it. So if it doesn't have a title, it's a Psalm of David. So 43 and then, you know, 91 through 99. David's letter David. to the Hebrews. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. It would, if you let the Septuagint do it, it would be absolutely. Right. Um, the date on this one is kind of tough for me because it obviously is being sung from someone who's not around the temple. Uh, there's a lot of temple celebration in the Korahite Psalms, and uh, 84 to 89, I would argue, are sung from an exilic perspective. These sound exilic to me as well. Hmm. Um, you know, that where have you been? And I remember when I came into the presence of God and the house of God. And I, you know, why are you disquieted? God will be there. God will remember me. God will take care of me. Although many people wonder if these songs don't have a northern origin, as in the northern kingdom of Israel. And uh, part of that, Jordan, Herman, Mount Mizar are all, well, certainly Jordan and Herman are two northern portions there. You don't get uh, references to Jerusalem Jerusalem explicitly. Mm -hmm. You just get the vague house of God. Well, that's Jerusalem. Or maybe it's something in the north. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe it's Dan or Bethel, <clears throat> yeah. which would have had their own hymn traditions as well. Hmm. Okay. So. Yeah, that is hard <laughs> that does make it hard to date. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Tell me more about this thirsty deer. <laughs> Everybody loves that. I mean, that is like ever. That is, you know what? I don't know if you know this. Maybe you do. That that verse inspired many representations in the early church of baptism. Oh. Uh, that that Christian baptism was often represented by uh, a deer standing in a stream hmm. uh, in in catacomb. Uh, places. I, oh, I I read that today. I okay. didn't know that. I didn't know that either. So there you go. Ah, I told you about the thirsty deer. Well, yeah, you know the catacomb. The art in the catacombs is interesting. I don't know much about it, but the the uh, <clears throat> the renditions of Jesus is very diverse. You know, I think yes, I think yes. everything probably pre Constantine is very diverse. Mm -hmm. Not that you have a lot of uh, you know, to to go to. Uh, right. Um. But yeah, Jesus is depicted all kinds of ways. Um. Yeah, er, the early the early stuff. It's it's fascinating before things become more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I always like the church's early stuff. Like the new, <laughs> There's New, new Testament. Yeah, that was good. That's good stuff. Diverse. That early, <laughs> early stuff's always better. Yeah. The before they sell out. The template. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Right. That's always the challenge. Yeah. I'm, well, now I'm, now I'm thinking about pictures in the catacombs I've seen. Yeah, see, you are so easy to distract. It's not even. That's true. Contest. It's true. It's that's you know that that makes me a slow reader because I can't read a paragraph without going thinking, oh wow, that makes <laughs> oh, me you know what? think of ten different yeah. things. You know, you have a hard time listening to sermons. I know as well. So I find you know I find a good uh, path of departure, <laughs> a good and, point, and, and then go off with you that. Go. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. I will remember that part of the sermon though. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Ready for Galatians? Galatians, yeah. 
Is that how you pronounce it? Galatians. Okay, that makes, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Galatians 3, 23 to 29. You know, I had no problems with coughing or phlegm or anything until we started this podcast and I got choked and I have not been the same hmm. since. So, Well, it is powerful stuff. So I am. <laughs> Wait a minute. I was the one speaking. I always move myself. Yes. Uh, Galatians 3, 23 to 29. Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Yeah, rather obscure passage, right? Yeah, right. From, from Paul. Well, 328 is pretty popular. Pretty, pretty well known, <laughs> yeah. So... What did you call it? Uh, what do you call Romans? Uh, it's uh, Galatians with footnotes. Galatians with footnotes. Yeah. yeah. So there, there is a, a lot of overlap here. And, and, and if you read commentaries and who doesn't, uh, <laughs> they talk about it. And actually it doesn't sound like a very uh, positive depiction of the law here, but it's better than a Romans because they're, you know, the law is killing mm-hmm. you in Romans and here it's just a disciplinary, it's you know? disciplinary. It's just a prison, just a prison guard, you know? <laughs> so it's like, Oh yeah, that's way better. He's not uh, not spent a lot of time, not spent chapter after chapter condemning all of humanity, you know, to, to lay a lay a level right. foundation for what God's going to do. So, but that, but but the law is depicted here as temporary, as not uh, not the ideal, and uh, not displacing the promise um, to Abraham. Um, so a common sort of image uh, in. Um, Greco-Roman world, certainly the Hellenistic world, is the the slave who takes you to school. He's not the one who ultimately teaches you, but make sure you do your homework and mm-hmm. uh, as your disciplinarian. And uh, at a certain point, you you you, they would say people would grow fond of their disciplinarians after overtime, and mm-hmm. uh, perhaps let this slave uh, emancipate this slave uh, later. So, an interesting relationship, and there a lot of uh, since it's a common. Among elite, it's a common experience. Right. Uh, let me just talk about boarding school so that we can all relate right. to this. You know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yes, yeah, so do, do tell us about that, Thurston. Um, it is, uh, but you hear it in, in the people who write, and that's their experience, mm-hmm. right? So uh, common in um, in the Greek world to, to hear about this. And Paul is one who's got his, his uh, foot in both worlds, definitely. Uh, pulls upon this sort of thing, but it does talk about the you know sets the stage for the temporary and the passing nature, also the depiction of uh, immaturity and something you don't need when you're you're mature. Um, Three twenty eight is one of these um, notoriously hard to inter- understand verses of Paul. There's no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, um, and so we have to lean on church tradition. How do they understand it? If you mm. look at hundreds of years of recent church traditions, probably should be rendered something like, there is still Jew and Greek, there is still slave and free, there is still male and female, but it's a good thing. We're looking at it as a, as a it's a, a positive. But, but in Christ, they're complementarian, okay? Ooh, Ooh that was boy. a long way to go to, to stab Ouch. somebody. Yeah, you know it. It is interesting. I will, on a serious note, um, that uh, 
I, I told you I was reading Amy Jill Levine's book recently, A Misunderstood Jew, mm-hmm. and she was uh, remarkably more positive to Jesus than she was to Paul. And okay. I, now, long, I would say over the long game, over the whole book, she kind of came to treat Paul, I felt, pretty well. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I also felt like some of the same things that she was doing with Jesus, she wasn't doing with Paul. Like where I felt she often was putting Jesus in a, uh, a helpful Jewish context, I felt like oftentimes she tended to argue with Paul mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a more, w- without sensitivity to to that particular the more you talk about her the more christian she sounds yeah yeah i tell you she's something else (laughs) christian Um, christian women in particular yeah she is uh she's she she was really really good but she was pointing out that 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 basically this was a this 328 was a a problematic verse because you know one in which she would argue paul was asking them to lose their jewish identity uh, that there that there was not in her mind she felt like paul was hmm. not a, a pre paul did not appreciate passages say in zechariah where gentiles could come as gentiles unto god and jews come as jews and mm-hmm. that paul was was just blending all of that away and mm-hmm. now there is no there is no jewish identity before christ and and that really obviously was a for obvious reasons was a problem for her that's interesting was, that that's interesting because that. you don't yeah, you simply don't hear that argument, that perspective. You know, right. it's such a it's such a gentile dominated argument, and so that right. that is interesting, right. uh, though a bit more distant to his you know rhetorical. That's what I thought situation. as well. Yeah. Like I said, I felt like it was a personal thing for her and Paul, mm-hmm. where she was able to have a little bit of academic distance with Jesus. Right. Um, right. That that would be the best way to say that. And that may not be as kind toward her as I mean to be when I say uh-huh. that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, even, I mean, everyone, everyone's got their, their emphases and, and their blind spots. I mean, those, yeah. that's, those things yeah. go along hand in hand. And, and, uh, in, in these pairs, um, it is not, uh, Jewishness or distinctions, but it's privilege and it's mm. especially religious privilege. That is, uh, effaced, not by taking anything away, but by lifting up um, others who 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 don't have that. So there's always there's always a one person who has all the privilege in these these binary pairs, Jew and Greek. And you could say a Jewish uh, male slaveholder parent has all has all the power, you know, in uh, in the previous uh, you right. know the Hebrew Bible Hebrew reading. Um, a, a women and Gentiles and children are of no account, you know, or very right. little in in that world. Mm. Um, but this is this is a radical sort of Magna Carta sort well, of statement. That's that is, I think, very helpful, and I think it's worth repeating and dwelling on the fact that what you're saying is that this is not a statement of a loss of identity, no. but but an equalization of privilege. Right. Um, right. So it's not that Jews no longer exist and Greeks no longer right. exist, no. but it's not mm-hmm. that the Jew is privileged over the Greek, the free privileged right. over the slave, right. the male privileged in over the female. In terms of uh, access to God and 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 be, belonging and being and being mm-hmm. a, an offspring of Abraham. Now that I'm not sure if did she get into that or not. She uh, heirs of the not. promise. You know? Well, I think she felt that that was part of that blending or you know that that de Judaizing uh, the the gospel the early church okay hmm 
Yeah. It, you know, and that's hard. It's hard to, um, know how to calibrate that as Paul, as one who's a, a missionary to the right. Gentiles and is right. drawing upon their language and their perspective. So, um, but this is a radical statement. Uh, there is a, certainly, there's a huge distinction in all of these areas in this world. And right. there's no other institution that has overcome the, the, the alienation between Jews and Greeks mm-hmm. or any of these other, these other issues of status and honor. Um, Paul is planning churches where people mix that never mix in the Hellenized mm-hmm. world, in the Greco-Roman mm-hmm. world. Someone, uh, Abraham uh, Mallerby, did a study of all of Paul's churches and all the individuals mentioned in uh, in his letters and in Acts, and um, he would say of all the strata of of uh, the the Greco-Roman world, you had everyone there except for. Um, you know, you don't have the emperor, you don't have the senatorial class, but mm-hmm. just beneath that, all the way down to everybody else. Yeah. Everyone else down to, um, not the people they wouldn't allow in cities. Okay. Because Paul's planting in cities. He doesn't plant his, uh, churches in, in villages. He plants them in, mm-hmm. in urban centers and they, and then the church reaches the area. So the extreme top and, and just the people they don't let in town. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're all found mm-hmm. mixing and there's nothing, there is no institution. There's no gathering place for people in that world, you know, to, to, to mix. Yeah. And that's because yeah. of the deep alienation between these people. It also helps you understand why um, uh, something like first Corinthians 11, these people did not know how to live together. Okay. Right. To have a meal together. Um, but it, it is a, a very radical statement. You see, over the trajectory of the New Testament and over the trajectory of Paul's ministry, you see a great deal of him fleshing out that first pair. There is no longer Jura Greek. You have a lot of um, uh, missionary and life experience of Paul. You can uh, you can understand that how he works that out. You have a mm-hmm. lot of him thinking out loud and writing about that. You have less of the trajectory for male, female, and slave mm-hmm. freak. So you mm-hmm. see fragments of how these things are in motion in terms of uh, what's, how does that work itself out in the church, yeah. that women, this equality that, that women now share, uh, male and female. What does that well, like, look like, like in the church? Said, every single one of Paul's letters is dealing with the Jew-Greek problem. Right. I mean, every one of yeah. them is dealing with that. He's yeah. not dealing with slave and free and male and female mm-hmm. on that level. No. I mean, it, it's, it, you can infer based on how he talks about these things, yeah. but you don't, have, you don't have a Romans that is set up for slave and free or male and female. Mm-hmm. You have Romans for Jew and Greek. That right. is the, that's the whole argument, you know, in that yeah. whole, that whole yeah. book. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's like, uh, I'm talking about all of us, but I'm going to spend all my time on this one right. because that's, even when he resolves, well, here, this is in a letter where he's, you know, laid a foundation and they've come to understand and then they've slid backwards. And they've okay? slid backwards. And even yeah. Peter shows up and starts mm-hmm. dissembling, you know, and starts only eating with Jews when people from Jerusalem come. Yeah. And, and, and Paul calls him out on that in public, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's not as though it's like, all right. Done with that. Let's move on yeah. to male, yeah. female. Solve the Jew Greek problem. And so when I teach New Testament, I talk about that, but I say, well, okay, here's these places where we see some of the trajectory in in the other. I talk about Philemon as a church in motion, trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not it's not an abolishment of slavery because um, so much of the economy, so, so much in the warp, warp the warp and woof of. Uh, of Greco-Roman society, um, 
you probably couldn't take a head-on attack of slavery. But what you see going on in something like Philemon is that mm-hmm. he definitely is taking, he's definitely removing the foundation, which is this distinction between people right. and privilege. So Philemon, he's he's saying he's putting the ball in Philemon's court. He's saying he's using all kinds of, he's pulling out all the stuffs rhetorically mm-hmm. as he's sending this slave back to his to his master. But he's saving, sending him back as a brother. And he's making him like, you need to figure this out, Philemon. Are mm-hmm. you going to be a uh, high-status Roman slave owner uh, who solves it that way? Or are you going to be... Are you going to be a Christian? Yeah. Or are you going to be a, <laughs> like a family member? Are you going to deal with his brother? You know, he calls him brother, calls Philemon mm-hmm. brother, calls calls Onesimus brother, you know? Mm-hmm. he's And he's always going back and forth between those two identities. Paul's changing his own hats that he wears because he's trying to kind of uh, deconstruct uh, Philemon's identity. It's like, you need mm-hmm. to figure this out. Who are you? Because that's going to tell you how you resolve this. He's not going to give him the answer. He's going to make Philemon uh, figure out what that means. And, uh, and, and of course, Philemon is reading this letter in the context. He's reading it out loud in church. Loud. So it's not, right. he's not going to do it as an individual. It's not an individualistic thing. So it's uh you do see the church in motion doing that. It is pretty radical what's going right. on, but it's not as though Paul is giving people answers. He's given right. them the resources and the identity in Christ to figure that out, mm-hmm. and the the language and and the uh, uh, you know to to think about it in terms of family and love and and forgiveness and yeah. Uh, but he's he is uh. He, from our perspective, I always ask the question when I teach Philemon, is he being manipulative or is mm-hmm. that just good preaching? You know? Yeah. Uh, do you feel manipulated when you hear good preaching? <laughs> like this guy's <laughs> read my mail, you know? Yeah. I'm not comfortable as I sit here, but he's, uh, on the other hand, he's doing it on behalf of a, a very vulnerable, uh, slave who's going back right. to his master. Someone who has no representation. Yeah. 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 And of course, Paul's writing from a prison and he can't be there and this could all blow up, you know? So. Right. Know, and so that's interesting. And then, and then male, female, oh my goodness, there's so much, there's so much that it's ignored, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure it was the same way, you know, when, when this institution of slavery here in the, in the U S which is an even more heinous version of slavery, uh, than Greco Roman slavery. Um, but n- not that, not that that was any picnic. Right. Um, but there is a whole range of experiences of slaves from both being like, extremely powerful because you're mm-hmm. a powerful household to someone who's living their whole lives, their short, brutal life in the Roman mind somewhere. But so, but, but still, I'm sure, you know, there's ways of reading slavery, uh, in, in mm-hmm. uh, pre-Civil War America. I mean, my goodness, the ways of reading scripture is amazing. But, uh, it was amazing to me to read that book, Genesis of Liberation, to see how African-Americans were reading Scripture and and it's still amazing to me that it wasn't rejected outright. I mean, when that mm-hmm. when when yeah. the, the the Bible was the Bible of the master mm-hmm. and 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 the book of oppression, and yet they the African Americans were able to hear <coughs> in Jesus what people were ignoring, and, and like you've said many times, mm-hmm. you know, it was written by the oppressed for mm-hmm. the most part. Yeah. And, and as a result, they hear it better they than always those have in the pr- position. They always have a better understanding. You know, <clears throat> and, the and it is, it's amazing. It, it is still a couple of things that surprise me. Nobody likes Paul, but that's not a surprise. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the one thing that was surprising to me is that it was not Exodus that they were drawn to. There was passages in the Psalms and it was Jesus. It was Sermon on the Mount. It was mm. not, I think 
pre-Civil War. Now, post-Civil War, Exodus was a yeah. big feature of African-American oh, yeah. interpretation. Right. But but pre-Civil War, I don't even think they had it within their imagination hmm. to relate to that narrative, that that was more than they could hope or see. But that but but reading the hmm. Sermon on the Mount, that was key in that in that what was the early... text you refer reference genesis of uh genesis of liberation wow. uh antebellum interpretation of the biblical text by slaves wow. um yeah by african-americans it oh was, yeah i'm not it, that familiar with uh, the pre the pre yeah it was fascinating um huh and it was it was a good read that was a really good read i cannot remember the authors of that text but uh wow but yeah i remember really enjoying that one and and being you know still amazed at all the work I had to do to interpret a text that they were able to see instantly. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, well, once you understand the early cultures and the basic honor, shame language that you see, and then you can understand this text and they're like, no, the text means this. And I'm like, well, yes, it does. And that's really well done. Good. (laughs) Yeah. Good job. Good job on that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's just amazing. Like, man, it's careful. Your privilege is showing, you know, it's like, wow. Yeah. Yes. A, a, uh, a text I have my students read at Fuller is uh, Justo Gonzalez's Santa Biblia, reading oh, from, yeah. a, mm-hmm. from a la- uh, Latino, uh, Latino perspective. perspective yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, that's a good text. And it's yeah, it's very helpful for people who aren't, you know, the people who are right. the, the majority. And, and you know, if I teach in, in some of the places I might out in California, some of the undergraduate, mm-hmm. it's like if they're not using it, I'm going to import yeah, that absolutely. because Fresno is like almost 50% Hispanic. It's, well, it's huge. You know, my friend, uh, pastor Hector, uh, was asking and, and I showed him that text and he, he read the back of it and he said, well, this man does understand Latinos, doesn't he? <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, oh, he that really text sent to yeah. Just looking oh. at, looking at the back of the text. Mm-hmm. He was just looking at the way in which he describes the mm-hmm. text. He goes, okay, yeah, this guy gets it. And, and yeah. in in his perspective, he he saw it. It is a so. great resource. So so yeah. accessible, you know, to any to whether you you have that background or you don't. It's it, yeah. it generates a lot of good conversations. Well, it was it was. We were just talking this. This obviously we did Pentecost this past Sunday, and and in in the sermon, one of the the things I said was that it was not culture that unified that early church. It was the spirit, and mm-hmm. the church did really well right up to the part where different cultures got involved. I mean, we did did really well when everybody was, you know, a Jewish male. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. the widows that were Greek and the widows that were, and then all of a sudden the Samaritans and then all of a sudden the Gentiles. And then all of a sudden it got really complicated. Mm-hmm. So then it got hard and it wasn't, it wasn't the culture that was united. And it was the spirit that was uniting them. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that that's what's happening. I think that he's talking about in three twenty eight that it's not, no one is privileged here. Right. Uh, in that, no culture is privileged. Not that that culture doesn't exist, but that it right. is not privileged. Right. I think that's yeah. helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, let me put it, let me frame, let me, let me frame it positively. I like to give resources to people for, to, yes. to yes, you emphasize do. the egalitarian perspective. <clears throat> yes, you do. And along the way, sometimes I give it, I give, give my shots into the complementarian because yes. I think it is, it is disingenuous well yeah i so i yeah i i I, uh i posted something uh you retweeted it uh a resource (laughs) about uh um how paul interchangeably uses uh you know uh elder and uh and bishop and pastor because Mm -hmm. as you do teach the 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 preponderance of evidence that that women in the pauline churches had every role up to and including 
uh, mm-hmm. apostle, people still say, yeah, but they can't be pastors. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> it's like, like well, well, wait a minute. What, what do you think about pastors? You know, who are, yeah. they could be apostles, but they can't be pa- <laughs> pastors. Yeah, we have, we've, we've lost the hierarchy at that point, I think. Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and then that's a helpful thing. Cause I always make a point of teaching that. And then, mm-hmm. but that's a, that's a nice, that's a little extra, that little resource I posted the, the, uh, last night because it's like oh yeah that needs a little bit of tension as people retreat into that that's not mm-hmm. a very strong uh what do i call it a rickety rickety stronghold to retreat into and now i'm trying to remember was i think it was the emperor was it the emperor julian text or was it now i'm trying to remember what it where was it? ah the galio i cannot remember who it is it refers to the two women slaves who were leaders in the church oh it's uh it's uh, plenty the younger a plenty the younger Writing, that's what it is it's yeah the plenty the younger yeah the, the two women Right. Two women slaves that who were, were leaders who were deacons in the yeah. church. Yeah. So Wait, and those okay. are Pauline churches. The area is right. Pauline and a deacon is a minister of the word. You know? So let's let's take a moment just to say that sentence again. Two yeah. women yes. slaves I know. who were deacons. I point that out. It's like can you can you get be more marginalized in that <laughs> I, world I mean than a female slave, you know? And they are leaders, There's they are leaders deacons in, the in this church. Mm-hmm. And that is I mean, the world is turned upside down. And he said, we maybe. tortured them to get the information because they're women. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. They're not, they're not going to tell you the truth unless you torture them. So the, we'll the torture contrast you. is right there in the letter, you know? It is. It absolutely is. It's that, that, yeah, we always pause there when we read that. Cause we read that when we read Revelation. You read that New Testament. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. When we get to Revelation. That is what a great, when, that is the first, um, Gentile writing that gives us a perspective on, you know, outsider's view of these crazy Christians. Right. Uh, that's right. the first one. That's the earliest. So, and what uh, is the date on that? It's it's early second century. Yeah, yeah that's what yeah. I thought. Yeah, it's about yeah, like two. Well, like one. I don't know, one fifteen, one twenty five, something like that. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that is an, it's an that extraordinary. Is just amazing. It's not, it's not a long letter. Plenty, plenty, the uh, plenty of the younger writing to uh, Emperor Trajan. Like, <laughs> hey, I'm taking. Who are these Christians? You know, I, yeah. well, I don't know who they are, but I'm taking care of business. I'm killing them, but I'm here's, killing what, I, them. here's they what I know about them. They don't seem too bad, but I went yeah. ahead and killed them. Yeah, but then, then again, there's all there's kind of he's kind of playing both sides. It's he's like, trying to. These are yeah. like actually not the big threat, you know, not yeah. in a traditional. I mean, I've killed sense. them, sure, but I'm killing but, them, yeah. But, but they don't seem like. But a big get threat. this: here's what they yeah. do, <laughs> right? And I found all this out because I tortured these two. Yeah. I'm out here doing the stuff. Don't do it. Don't. I'm not kidding you about that, but <laughs> that, that just, and he says, yeah, I'm what? sure he says, I'm sure, um, I'm sure that the things will get better once an opportunity for repentance is given to the Christians to repent to the right. Yeah. Right. Which is, he brings in idols and has them curse Christ. And it said, it said that real Christians don't do this, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's a great letter. It is. It's letter. so, it's so, it's so upside down. And it also shows you, how uh how christians are using the the political religious language that mm-hmm. rome is using you know because he's always mm-hmm. calling him lord and he's always it's a lot of stuff we would think of as strictly religious language it's like no no yeah, no it's, it's not it's both of those it's things political that we forget how political statements there's, like there's Jesus just no no is. no separate yeah there's no separation between politics and economics and, and right. religion and that would go and right probably because there really isn't that's a very artificial modern thing yeah. Point. So what it was what struck me this morning, and I've been thinking about this stuff. I didn't realize we were reading uh, Galatians three twenty eight, is that I'm reading uh, a commentary um, that is talking about the radical nature of what his statement here, and then 
he closes off this com this commentary closes off on whether or not Paul actually uh, this was embodied in Paul's churches is another question. It's like, it's not an unanswerable question. (laughs) There's an abundance of evidence. Why that person, why that commentator would raise that false, like put doubt into the, the mind of a reader that that was this radical, uh, radical um, egalitarian or uh, bringing everyone under the, to the same level is lived out. It's like, I mean, that's what Paul thought, but whether people bought it or not. This is Pauline scholar writing. <laughs> you oh, know gosh. that there's ample evidence, but even Pauline scholars can, they well, can, they can both read scholars. it this way and then they read from their own. Con- it's amazing. The amazing blind spot. I just, I was stunned when I read that. I go, holy cow. It's just all over the place in Paul's letters. I guess mm. if you've or, been taught or, to notice it. <laughs> or. Or, uh, yeah. or not. Yeah. Well, don't get me started on Pauline scholars. So. Yeah. Or basically, New Testament PhDs in general. Paul gets such a, you know, this is an amazing thing. And Paul still gets what? Why is he so angry? <laughs> Why does he hate women? <laughs> Doesn't hate women. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Well, we better get on to Luke because. Here's a more Luke, politically correct we'll guy, Luke. Yeah, Luke. Luke's very. He's, you know, keeping the status quo here. Luke 8, 26 to 39. They arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, I assume that's Jesus, mm-hmm. a man of the city who had demons they met were, him. They were either coming from a ship or an airplane. I forget what it was. So he stepped out on land at this point. <laughs> they did. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Hmm. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, which we apparently weren't privy to up until this moment. Yeah, it's interesting chronology in in, in this. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the wild. It's so metal. (laughs) Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He said, Gary. No, he didn't. He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now they were on the hillside. Legion's uh, always, oh. Gary's always getting ahead of Jesus. You know, he thinks he knows what Jesus is going to do. You know what? Don't torture me and don't sin. <laughs> now they're on the hillside. A large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. That's meet him halfway. No. It's a compromise. No. Then... The demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herds, wow, what a name. That's swine a great herds. translation option. The swine herds saw what had happened. Yeah. That is, the swine herders? That's or strange for NRSV. That seems very herds? archaic, doesn't it? Swine herds. Anyway, they ran off and told it to the city and in the country. Oh, everywhere, I guess that is. Uh, then the people came out to see hmm. what had happened. And when it came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They weren't afraid of, they were, weren't afraid of him when he had a demon. No, now they're afraid of him. No, it's, now that he's normal. It's problems. This, <laughs> it's, it's, this, this region has problems. There, those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. You know how many 
You know, it's pig's cost. So he got them into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home. Declare how much God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. That was a subtle switch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. That was a, that was a clever move there. Yeah. Yeah. Tell him what God has done. You'll never guess what Jesus has done. Yeah. Nice, nice move. Yeah. That's a, not going to. Not gonna draw your attention to it, but yeah, it is a nice it is a nice move. I'm looking for that. Why do they do swine herds? And I didn't swine herds. It must be very. It's very. It's not that similar, huh? Not that similar in the Greek. Hmm. I thought it was a, like a wordplay. The swine herds. I thought he sent the pigs and the uh, demons into the swine herds. Wait a minute. <laughs> so, this is our last. This is our last run with Gary right here. We've had three encounters with Gary. Good runs. He's yeah, part he's, of the not triple in tradition, isn't he? Not in he's John. not in John. So. Yeah, this is a, this is, a, I, I do tend to, I teach this when I teach kingdom of God, actually getting, even before I get into the gospels, kind of lay a foundation. And usually I'm dealing with uh, things like uh, the social dimension of healings and how um, not just physical healings or uh, spiritual, you know, mm-hmm. um, this guy this guy covers all those bases, right? Yeah. Uh, that these extraordinary miracles. It's a. It's it's very interesting as Jesus is uh, teaching, and then episodes are included to dramatize the inbreak into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. This one's as you, as we note is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and probably the most massive sort of. Uh, what do you call it these these days? You might call it a power encounter, massive confrontation with the. Uh, spiritual opposition that Jesus faces mm-hmm. in his, in his ministry. And so this guy has immense issues as we've <laughs> talked about. What did we, what did we talk last time? I like filled out his uh, eHarmony profile. Yeah. Just really, really wouldn't get a lot of hits with uh, this, no. this kind of profile. So, but it's in all seriousness, I do think it's interesting. And I just noticed this time, well, I noticed this emphasis this time that although normally we think of these healings as a social restoration this time he's healed and it's almost like he's ostracized. I mean, it's almost like they're afraid of him and they, and Jesus gets ostracized by restoring this guy, um, which is odd. Tell Jesus to get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. This guy has a lot of, this guy is restored on a lot of levels, psychologically yeah. and, and the, the demonically and, and, uh, uh, fashion, and then, fashionably. And then, <laughs> he's right. wearing clothes, he's wearing clothes now. not hurting then, himself. But by him being restored, it actually mind. moves Jesus out of the picture. They don't want him there. Yeah, yeah. Jesus is an interesting. They they react against there. it. Although, um, against the what had become a pattern in in Matthew, Mark, and Luke of Jesus calling people away to be disciples. Yeah. That's that's what's dramatic about this. That that the as dramatic as this healing is, that becomes a backdrop for the mm-hmm. punchline, which is that. Mm-hmm. He wants to follow. He wants to go away and follow Jesus, but Jesus doesn't let him. So that's the, after establishing a pattern, breaking that pattern becomes the more emphatic thing that you hear in a story. So if we, mm-hmm. if we were just reading Matthew, Mark, or Luke from beginning to the end, we would notice that more uh, rather than the kind of episodic way, um, you know, we do sermons or lectionaries and, sure, and such. Sure. Um, so that's, it's, it's very surprising how quickly um, spiritual miracles, physical miracles become the backdrop against which marginalized people and their restoration. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the m- even more emphatic statement of the miracle or the occasion yeah. of the miracle. So here would be this guy 
this guy is about as far outside of community yeah. as could be, right? Geographically. The only thing, he, if he yeah. was a woman, right. that's the only <laughs> yeah. other thing that right. could have done it. Right. Yeah. 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 Almost he, at the bottom. He's destroyed himself. He's he's living amongst the, the dead. He's a, as defiled as one could be and out of his mind and, and, and far outside of society. So the final step of Jesus re, against the, his pattern of calling people away to follow him, the final step of restoring him to his uh, his community, to his city, is uh, rather extraordinary. And so he is restored at every level and at that level as well, uh, restoration to community at the end. Although that'd be very easy for us to miss in modern Western readings. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that's why I... You know, that's why you spend more time when you're teaching an ancient uh, group-oriented honor-shame text. Mm-hmm. You spend you have to spend more time on that. So yeah. um, it's rather extraordinary how much of the In Breaking the Kingdom of God is unpacked in those categories of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of, of status and privilege and, and marginalization. So this, you know, that's... That's a radical turning the world upside down, even as a Galatians 3.28 is a radical turning mm-hmm. the world upside down. This guy is uh, this bringing everyone back into community um, is something that the kingdom of God does and is a sign of the inbreaking of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. As uh, Luke's, Luke's practice is to not so much talk about um, um, miracles themselves, but as the, uh, the collateral or the things surrounding it is how he defines uh, you know, what does the kingdom of God look like when it, it breaks in? It's like, well, people are restored on every level, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they're very good about it. And of course, healings, <clears throat> healings in that world, they wouldn't segment off biophysical from right. spiritual or from social um, right. s- status issues. So it may be that as we become more attuned to the social and status issues, we notice those more. But it's also the case that the storyteller, the writer, is making that emphatic in the story itself, over mm-hmm. against even to the to the making um, the miraculous the backdrop against which this this restoration takes place. Mm-hmm. That that still uh, strikes me, and and it's also something I think I would emphasize I've had colleagues no longer colleagues but the colleagues who've really been into the miraculous you know mm-hmm. and chasing the mm-hmm. miraculous and I want to say what about the other parts of those stories what about the fact that this the our, our our writings the new testament that always form quickly becomes the backdrop for these other yeah. ways of of healing and restoration is that attendant uh, this revival is that a that would be a good test of this is whether this is a true revival or not or whether it's a true miracle or not i think if it's if it's really you know the new testament miracles happen again well you would want to see all these other dimensions too this mm-hmm. sort of restoration and uh well, you know what i you're gonna hate well i hate me for thinking this but you just you just said that and my immediately went to john nine um okay <laughs> an illustration of the miraculous being the backdrop for social inclusion yeah. and exclusion at that point yeah, yeah. That's exactly what you're talking right. about, that the miraculous right. is the backdrop for how we're talking about, uh-huh. you know, who's in and who's not. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the Signs and Wonders movement, which which a lot of it was surrounding Fuller and, and Southern mm-hmm. California, um, mm-hmm. one thing John Wimber said, one of the leaders of that movement, he said, you know, it's after, and, and he, this would be apropos of Gary's, you know, it's after the drug addict is, uh, you know, cured that that's when the real hard work starts, you know, getting mm-hmm. reintegrating mm-hmm. this person back into the community. It's like, that's, 
the miracles mm-hmm. dramatic and instantaneous and and powerful, but there's a lot of follow up, you know, work. And so yeah. I think that's a mature perspective on on the miraculous, the role in in our churches. Uh, certainly, you would want to. That's a that's a more much mature than some people you hear about, right? Right. The miraculous, because we kind we tend to either like go, we're all in for it, or we just bracket mm-hmm. it out. Like, yeah, that has no place in our. You know, it's like right. maybe there's a more of a balance. You know. Um, but yeah, it's an extraordinary story, and and uh, as we say, the, the the most extraordinary confrontation. You know, this guy in every dimension, this guy is just, yeah. just you know, wrecked. You know, just just uh, like yeah, I don't know, this guy's salvageable. It's like eh, he's naked and he's clothed. He's sitting in his right mind. He's taking the posture of a disciple. Uh, and but the little final step is his reintegration into his community. Mm-hmm. Very amazing. It's good. Did you want to tell the story about the pigs and the commentary again? Because that's oh, <laughs> that's true. I also draw upon this. Uh, uh, sometimes I come back, circle back to this at the end of certain classes to uh, point out how to tell a bad source. I go, mm-hmm. I use the example of this uh, this story where someone a source. They, if the source is getting off on tangents, it's like that's that's not going to be very helpful. And they so, got their own stuff. So one well known commentary. Uh, popular, but kind of a single volume uh, commentary on the New Testament it talks about this. And they ended up by saying, uh, many people uh, talk about, uh, say the Lord was wrong. I forget how they phrase it. I haven't looked at it in a while. Uh, that Jesus was wrong to kill so many pigs. And then he has three reasons why that's not true. <laughs> one is like, uh, uh, isn't, uh, oh, let's see, what was it? If, uh, uh, there's a, there's a lot of great lines there. You know, this, this is, I forget. There's three things. One of them is like uh, this. If you were Jesus, you would have done the same thing. Uh, uh, I saw, the big finish. Uh, I love the big finish. I, and I'm going to get it in the wrong order, though. What's the what's so, the, well? The big finish is you think oh, you're smarter. Oh than yeah. Jesus. The second one is uh, uh, is is not uh, you know you are worth many. Isn't this man one man worth many pigs? I thought that was makes. However, they said it was like that's a great bumper sticker. <laughs> You know, I've got to look pigs. it up. Actually, I have a Logos resource version of that. I should probably look that up. According to Psalm 8, we are. But the final pigs. one was, yeah, you think you're smarter than Jesus? <laughs> you think you're smarter than Jesus? Jesus did this. this guy had nothing, but Jesus? he wanted to get three points in. So <laughs> the final point was, you think you're smarter than Jesus? Uh, and which, which I let me just take a moment to say, that's a point you go back to on numerous occasions, in numerous settings, in numerous places. <laughs> I have heard you quote, hey. You think, you think you're smarter than Jesus? Jesus? Yeah, it is the final. Yeah, there's no comeback. There is no comeback there, there, for that. There's no comeback for that. Oh, well, that's a good place to end. Uh, <laughs> I think you're smarter than I think Jesus. you're smarter than Jesus. Yeah. Uh, well, hope that you have enjoyed this week. Uh, we went a little long, but we uh, had a lot to say. It seemed uh, pretty well spaced out this week. It wasn't even a revelation oh. thing. Wow. Uh, but yeah. uh, good time talking. So. Uh, hope that you will like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Reading in Church. Hope that you will have a good week and hope that ordinary time is extraordinary for you. How about that for a lecture? That sounds good. So, that sounds good. Uh, That'll preach. <laughs> have a great week. Have a great week. Blessings. Blessings. Reading in Church is proud to partner with Audible.com. For you, the listeners of this podcast, 
Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, MP3 player. Surely you can find something interesting in all of that. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash readinginchurch. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash readinginchurch for your free audiobook. Go there today.